House Minority Leader Jake Hummel may have one of the most challenging jobs in the Missouri General Assembly, leading a superminority of House Democrats. Now that the St. Louis Democrat is leaving the Missouri House due to term limits, he has reflections on what's changed and what's ahead. Hummel joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. say. Hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. We are taped in Jefferson City, Missouri today. Live, live taped. <laughs> uh, that voice that you hear uh, is my colleague. Joe Manis. And we're in the office of the House Minority Leader. Our special guest today is. Jake Hummel. He is a Democrat from St. Louis. He is counting down the days until his House tenure ends, at least until veto session. How does it feel to have reached this eight-year plateau? Uh, it went by very quickly, as most people will probably tell you. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but we want to talk about what's going on in the House right now and in the legislature. Um, we'll start off with a pretty straightforward question. It's Tuesday. It's about 1 p.m. How do you think the last few days of the session is going to go? I think pretty similar with the exception of what happened last year. I think it's going to be fairly chaotic. Uh, We're coming in, we're going to be working late into the night tonight, uh, probably every day. Um, Friday is obviously the big day. Most of the conference committee reports will be done um, and on everyone's desk Friday morning. And then the the mad rush to to finish by 6 p.m. Now, uh, today's Tuesday. So uh, I've, I've heard that the transportation bill might come up today or, I mean, just kind of explain to our listeners what are the big issues hinging in the house still well certainly the transportation bill is uh is has yet to come up and and we've been pushing for for that to happen uh, all year now um our roads and bridges are in a state where um they need a lot of attention um modot has run out of money uh they had to dip into their reserves recently uh just to get their federal match um, and, and we're going to have to do something to, uh, to fund our transportation system. It is enough to hopefully get us, you know, one or two years limping down the road. You know, I think the, the issue is, is that, um, you know, we haven't raised the gas tax for a number of years. Um, I believe almost 16 years or something like that, 20 years maybe. Yes, 20 years. 20 years. And uh, if you think about what a mile of road cost to pave 20 years ago, um, in today's dollars, it just doesn't keep up. So we have more cars on the road getting better gas mileage. Um, so we have more vehicles tearing up the road that are getting better mile, miles Mi- to the Mileage, so they're paying less tax. So they're paying less in taxes, and, and, uh, and it's, it's wearing out our infrastructure, and we have yet to find a way to, uh, to replenish those funds. Now, there is a ballot initiative that got uh, turned in. Uh, it's a statutory change that would raise the cigarette taxes to fund transportation. It's kind of unclear whether there's going to be enough signatures for that or whether it was actually a a real proposal or whether it was just running interference against the raise your hand for kids proposal. But if that does make the ballot, would that be something that you would support? Or do you think that there's some other issues with that? I mean, I would support it on the grounds that I think we should raise cigarette tax. Um, Is that the way to fund our roads and bridges? Absolutely not. Uh, We should fund our roads and bridges with a gas tax that is a user tax. If you're on the road, you're using the you're using the highway system, you're using the bridges, you're the ones that are, you know, wearing it out. 
that's who should pay the tax. Now, I know from talking with you at the beginning of the year that you were skeptical about the Republican majority's ability to pass ethics legislation. I think you even called it ethics light yep. to start off. Now it's very light. Now, <laughs> explain that, because we, we, we've, we've kind of watched the process unfold. They have mm -hmm. passed some bills um, dealing with restrictions on when you can become a lobbyist, mm -hmm. um, if you can be a political consultant at the same time you're a legislator. I think both of those things have been signed into law. There's another bill that I think would cap the amount of lobbyist gift, as, as what I'm talking about is you can only have $40 per gift, per se. Which it, basically covers the free lunches. Well, it covers the free lunches, but the way it's written, if you look at it, is it's it's $40 per lobbyist. Yeah. So, right. you know, you, to pretend that you can't go to a ball game or a concert, you know, that for something that's $150, you know, you have lobbyist A pay for part of it, lobbyist B pay for part of it, and then can they do one every day? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, it's a joke. Well, this was going to be my question because I've been asking Republicans about this. It seems like all these ideas, whether you think they're good or bad, they seem to be unrelated to why we're talking about ethics in the first place. It's because of several high-profile resignations due to sh sure. sh shenanigans, is right. what I'll say. And frankly, those, those shenanigans actually would not be affected would not have been impacted by any of the bills That's that have passed I, I so just, far. I've just had a hard time believing that there's a nexus between what John Deal allegedly did, or Paul Lavoto allegedly did, or Don Gosen sure. allegedly did, and whether you get a lobbyist meal or whether you can become a lobbyist right away. What's your thought on that? I, that the, the two have nothing to do with the other. I think that's, that's pretty clear. I mean, I, I, I continue to say that if you really want ethics reform, if you want to quit pretending that you're, that you're uh, uh, not influenced, I mean, you have to put campaign contribution limits back on that Missouri voters approved and that the legislature overturned. Um, you've got two or three individuals right now that are writing $100,000 checks, um, million-dollar checks to candidates, and pretending like that's not the real influence in this in this capital uh, is insulting to the voters. Does that have anything to do with what happened last year? No, and, but that's what that's my point, is I don't yeah. think those two issues are, mm -hmm. are tied together. Now, there is, when we were talking about an initiative petition, there, there was a constitutional amendment that was just... Uh, submitted. Mm -hmm. I believe they have over 200,000 signatures. Yes. About 270. And um, from talking with Todd Jones yesterday, the attorney for that initiative, I mean, if this gets on the ballot, I think its chances of passing are very high. Yes. Which is why it's pretty important to look what's actually in it. And from talking with them, under this particular initiative, municipal and county candidates would not have capped contributions. So I think this would have to play out in court. But I could see a scenario, for example, if you wanted to run for state senator or state statewide office, that you say, oh, I'm running for 11th Ward Alderman. You raise an unlimited amount of money, and then you switch it back. Or if you can't switch it back because there are restrictions, there are restrictions on, on, on transfer, you can just use it as an independent expenditure and use it to your advantage. So isn't that beyond just, beyond just those potential loopholes, isn't it kind of odd that all these other classes of office would be limited, but those wouldn't be? Yeah, I, I think that is. And I think that if you look at the person, the group that put this together, I think their issues are more on a statewide. I think it, I, I would assume that it would be fair to say that the, the gentleman that uh, Fred Sauer, Fred by the Sauer, way, that uh, that uh, funded this has issues with the state legislature in particular. And maybe that's what he was going after. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, and I, I think there's no guarantee that the courts won't won't allow this to stand. 
I mean, I think there's mm-hmm. you know, the, I, so I, there are some restrictions on, for example, contributions from certain businesses. I could see it being challenged either after it passes or even before it passes. But I mean, I guess it goes to a more general question. I know that Democrats and some Republicans want campaign contribution limits. They say that the current system is way out of control. And the fact that one person can give like a million dollars to a lieutenant governor candidate is just kind of jarring for people. But putting it in the Constitution when there are potential problems, like I just pointed out, from a structural standpoint, isn't that kind of problematic to get behind this specific proposal? Sure, absolutely. I think you have to look at that. Anytime there's a constitutional problem, of course you have to look at it. Um, will that resonate with voters? Probably not, I think is fair to say. I think they're, they see it on the ballot, they're going to vote for it. They voted for it once before. The Republican right. legislature overturned the will of the voters on that issue. Um, and I would bet they do it again. Well, now, if it's a constitutional amendment, though, I think that's one of the reasons. That's, that's one of the reasons, fair or unfair, that you're seeing more of these proposals mm-hmm. as constitutional amendments. It's not just, it's not yeah. just that, uh, although the, the first tobacco tax we talked about is a statutory change, but the other tobacco tax is, is a, a constitutional, constitutional change. Amendment. Medical marijuana is Correct. a constitutional change. And this realtor-backed Real- one that I can't really explain well, that it, well. Well, it curbs, basically, it's a pro the realtor-backed proposal is a proactive measure to bar sales tax from being imposed on services, whether it be real estate agents, hairdressers, doctors, lawyers. This is a proactive reaction to what they believe is an effort by, funded by, I mean, that is supported by Rex Singfeld, among others, to to get get rid of the sales, I mean, get rid of the income tax, but replace it with a broad, broader sales tax. Anyway, I'm just curious, in the state house, as you're dealing with this stuff, is there much talk about any of this stuff this last week, or people pretty much focused on 6 p.m. Friday? Yeah, I think that's the case. I think we're looking at the legislation we have in front of us, and then after after session, we get the stuff passed, as everybody will start looking at the initiative petitions that are out there. Um, and, and, you know, some people will either uh, tie their, probably tie their campaigns against it or go out and work for or against some of these measures, I think would now, be fair to say. Now, aside from transportation, what are other bills that are going to be pending in the House? There's a lot of stuff that's, that the House has passed that's sitting in the Senate mm-hmm. that may or may not get anywhere. But as far as the House goes, what are the major things that are pending that, that you expect to come up before 6 p.m. Friday? Well, certainly that would be the, the transportation is the biggest ticket item. You know, we, we put an amendment on today uh, that uh, one uh, Republican wanted to uh, sell the, uh, the new state park. Um, and uh, I think that's an issue that we've been fighting over and over. And it seems, to be, uh, it seems to be the case that they're going to attempt to attach that as many places as possible. Is that going to affect that? Because I was there during that. There wasn't really much discussion. I think some people weren't even understanding exactly what was going on. I mean, I was there and heard it. Mm-hmm. So is that something that might well, affect the bill? Because wouldn't it have to go back to the Senate? It, it, it will. It, it's going back to the Senate now. And I would assume that they're going to go to conference on it. But, but certainly that's an issue that has just repeatedly come up. Um, and which state park are they trying to sell? Is it the one in Oregon County? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. And why do they want to sell it uh, again, exactly? I, I don't think they liked the way that the money was the money that was uh, used to buy the park. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the uh, people down there uh, wanted to sell the park uh, to private individuals instead of the state. Understood. Understood. Now, um, I think we talked about this at the beginning of the year. Um, in 2015, I think there was a lot of hope that Michael Brown's shooting death would prompt a lot of bills to mm-hmm. be passed, dealing specifically with 
altering how law enforcement is trained and how they're investigated if they shoot and kill somebody. And I think that since then, obviously, Senate Bill 5 passed, and that's kind of in limbo. There's kind of an alteration to Senate Bill 5 that is kind of moving through the process. But I'm just not seeing a lot of the things that were asked for and demanded for on the streets of Ferguson making much traction here. And even the things that are making traction seem very incremental, whether it be restricting body camera footage or changing an already unconstitutional use of force statute. What do you think is going on here? And why do you think these bills aren't getting as much progress? Well, if you go back to last year, uh, Speaker Deal was very clear. We, the legislature will have no Ferguson agenda whatsoever. Uh, I think he was staying Correct. true to what Correct. he said. And the Republicans have refused to pass any of the, the measures. Yeah, well, because well, now, because you've got outstate Republicans who are really controlling the, the chamber, so right. I don't think it's... I don't think Ferguson is that big of an issue to them. I mean, fair or unfair, it's just not. Yeah, and I have also, when we talk with even some prominent Democrats like uh, Bob McCullough and Claire McCaskill, Mm -hmm. they're opposed, for example, bringing in an independent prosecutor for police-involved killing. So, and there are logistical issues with that. I'm not saying this is a partisan issue. You have to kind of get a sense of who is actually going to come in, when they would come in, whether it's appropriate for like the attorney general or a neighboring county prosecutor. But it seems like even that is getting a lot of opposition yeah, as well. And there was, you know, I think there, some, one of the issues that was brought up was, okay, do you, do you uh, bring uh, the adja- a prosecutor from the adjacent county? Um, is that going to make any difference since they work together so closely? And, and, and so there obviously were some issues that, that needed to be addressed. But Clearly, we have not worked on those. Yeah. And what do you think it means that Missouri, which was kind of the epicenter for this discussion about police conduct, hasn't really acted much, but a bunch of other states have? Well, I mean, I would say it's embarrassing, I guess, to be... Well, I'm not surprised, but... But I'm not surprised either. I mean, and I'm not knocking the state. I'm just saying based on the state's climate Mm -hmm. culture, I just don't necessarily see it. So, okay, at this point... What other things are you watching um, as you head into these last few days that you're watching to see what happens or what comes up? And is the Democratic caucus taking a position on some of these things? Well, I mean, certainly we were uh, disappointed in what happened with uh, paycheck deception uh, coming out of the House last week. I wasn't here, uh, but we're watching very closely with what happens to that in the Senate and uh, hoping we can hold on that. Um, Couldn't have been happier um, with the defeat of SJR 39. Uh, that was, of all the things that happened this year, uh, that made the most impact uh, to the state, um, or could have caused the most impact to the state, uh, that was probably the number one issue, the best thing that could have happened uh, in the entire session. I do want to talk about that a little bit, because I think I saw a very different way that issue was handled in the Senate than in the House. Mm -hmm. In the Senate, obviously, they had to use a previous question to get it out. It seemed that House Speaker Todd Richardson, even though I think he was in support of SJR 39, basically let it go through the process, didn't try to, like, yank it out of committee after it failed, and gave it a lot of time and a lot of public committee hearings. Did you think that – how do you think he handled when it came over to the House? I'm curious about that. I will tell you this, that the reason it had so many uh, delays was because they didn't have the votes. They were trying to get it out of – out of committee. Um, I wish I could say that I thought that that was the case, but I don't believe that's the case. Uh, that I think they were trying to get it out, that they told the Senate they would get it out. 
Um, I know for a fact that the reason we didn't have a vote on it and why it was delayed was because they thought they had the votes. Turned out they did not, and they delayed to try to pressure some of their members further. Mm -hmm. So I don't really think that's the case. Um, and what do you think it meant that, you know, it died because several Republicans voted against it? Because it wasn't just those three Republicans that were opposed to it. I think that there were others as well sure. who had a lot of misgivings the, and the, about it. And the it. business community played a, a, a huge part in that. Yeah, I mean, are there particular things that the business community did? I mean, everybody's been saying how business community opposed to this. But were there certain things they were doing? Were they going door to door to the offices? Were they sending oh, emails? Just what were they absolutely. doing as far I, I as think lobbying were, the individual members? I think members? there were phone calls. I think there were um, there were emails. There were certainly visits. Uh, I think we saw the business community come down here in force during the hearings. Uh, certainly, they were active in both St. Louis and Kansas City. Um, I think that made a big difference. Now, um, potential loss to state and revenue. I apologize. Potential loss to state and revenue was could have been astronomical. I mean, look at the other states that have not repealed this or have passed it. Um, it's, it seems like every day something else gets canceled or they try to, they're trying to walk back what they've done and uh, it, it could be devastating to the state's now, tourism economy. Well, I mean, because some of this is sort of linked, I think. I mean, it sounds crazy, but and somewhat with, with the climate of what's going on with the presidential contest where you're mm -hmm. seeing some of the social issues or at least the um, the business conservatives versus the social conservatives and the whole Trump mess. And then uh, on the Democratic side, you've got, you know, some labor people who are backing Bernie Sanders, not mm -hmm. Clinton, sure. because of, you know, some of these things that are related to this. As you're looking for the next few months in the state, um, any thoughts about how you think things are going to play out in the state election-wise, uh, either on a statewide or a presidential level, sure. and how active will you be? I, I will be active. I'll be helping out, uh, you know, until I, until election season is over. And uh, uh, shortly after that, the, the caucus will elect a new leader right after the elections, and uh, I'll help all the way up into that. But uh, certainly I think that uh, the future of the Missouri Democratic Party is looking very good right now, and I am extremely excited about Donald Trump being the Republican nominee. Oh, I'm shocked I to am, hear that. I am just thrilled. I think that uh, Well, yeah, that but one of the lot really of labor exciting. guys, I mean— I'm related to a couple mm -hmm. who I think are Trump people or in other states. But, I mean, well, they're, they're don't you hear – I mean, because you're a labor guy. Sure. Well, aren't you hearing some of that from your members no, who aren't that keen no. on Hillary either because of trade or something else? No, I mean, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard any – you know, I've heard Hillary versus Bernie. I haven't heard the Trump supporters. I'm sure they're out there. The, the truth is, and it's not a secret, not every, uh, not every union member votes – for Democrats, Correct. I think it's sixty or seventy-six to seventy-eight percent of our membership uh, does indeed vote for the Democratic Party, but not everyone. And so, of course, there are people that that are out there that are are thinking that way. Um, but uh, I don't think that I think when push comes to shove, um, when this election happens, when uh, Sec when Secretary Clinton is the nominee. Um, I think that our members will will do the right thing and uh, and vote for their job. Are there any particular candidates, let's say Coster or anybody else, that you're going to be working for? Um, and I'm, my job is to get the uh, my job is to get the House Democrats elected, and uh, I, I will be working for that. Because I'm looking at this beautiful map in your office right now, and i there's there's it's basically a map of all the state house districts mm -hmm. with all the faces of the people that represent them, and when I look. At some of them, some of them are just not winnable by That's Democrats, right. like in yep. southwest Missouri or southern Missouri. 
And I know that there are some instances where you have recruited strong Democratic candidates, whether it be in central Missouri, maybe some in Kansas City and St. Louis. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that kind of surprised me, and I brought this up several times, I brought it up to one of our guests, Mike Colonna, is the Democrats were not able to recruit anybody to run in northeast Missouri, which is a typical Democratic stronghold, some parts of Jefferson County, which has been a real historical Democratic stronghold. And I'm just wondering, with Trump being the nominee, was there a missed opportunity to get well, more seats? I can tell you that it was. there was certainly an effort made to try to find people in those seats. And it's just, it's a difficult thing to ask people to run for office for, uh, you know, against an incumbent or in an area where a Democrat has lost. You know, it, it, it's hard to recruit. It really is. I and mean, aren't, aren't we talking about 60 seats or something like that? Where I the Democrats, where the Democrats, I mean, so you're thinking of Well, a, there's, a I, I will say assembly. this, there, yeah. are, there are 12 to 15 seats that have a higher Democrat performance than Republicans. Okay. And that should be our seats. Okay. Um, and it, it's hard to overcome a bank account of $4 million that the HRCC has, usually, for elections. And that's when we start talking about uh, uh, the influence of money. It, that's a hard number to overcome. And on top of that, uh, during redistricting, uh, we did not do very well in, in redistricting. But but if you add those 12, roughly 12 mm -hmm. seats or whatever to what you have now, that would still leave the Democrats, even if you swept them all, mm -hmm. in a, still a pretty a little stronger position than you have now, but not by much. I was just going to ask, when you entered the House in 2009, didn't you have like 70 members or something I like that? I think that was probably correct. And now you have, what, 42? We had uh, so maybe 74. Yeah, 74 and now members. how many do you have? Uh, 54. Yeah, 54. 55. Yeah. Okay. 55. 55. Okay. Or 45. I'm sorry. 45. 45. Sorry. Because there were several special elections where That's the Democrats right. won. Right. I'm curious. Yeah, we did pick up our we, we picked up our first seat yeah. um, in a while. Which, which was, was Noel Torpy's old Noel seat. Noel Torpy's old seat. And, and that's one of those seats that uh, that's one of those seats that is was a higher Democratic in, um, index than Republican. Uh, Representative Torpy ran three times for that seat. And, you know, some of this is, uh, is uh, like Deb Lavender, getting before the voters over and over, and that's what it's going to take to win. Candidates are going to come back cycle after cycle and, and keep trying. And not to get too granular, but the, uh, Rory Rowland was the person Rory who won. Rowland, yes. He didn't actually there – there is no Republican candidate for them. So that's a d Democratic that's pickup right. that you get to keep. Uh, right. That must be an interesting feeling sure. right there. But my question was – I have to imagine that there's been a huge difference from when there were 74 to 45 now. I'm, sure. I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on you the, know, the regression. One of the hard, one of the hard things is uh, is filling these committee slots. Um, you know, it's no secret that we have uh, very few rural members left, and so serving on some of these agriculture committees um, is has been difficult. But we've 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 worked to find people that uh, Representative McCreary. Uh, owns a small farm in outstate Missouri, even though she's from, uh, you know, the Olivet area. And uh, so we've been able, able to fill it, uh, but uh, it, certainly that has been a challenge. Now, the vast majority of your caucus is either from St. Louis or Kansas City. There's mm -hmm. several people from Columbia. There's one person from Springfield, one person from Jefferson County, and I think one or two people from St. Joseph. Right. Obviously, St. Louis and Kansas City are really important parts of the state, but now they're in a situation where they're represented by a party that's so deep in the super minority that their effectiveness really depends basically on if Republicans are going to play ball with them. What do you think it means for the, those two metro areas that that reality is in play? Well, I think that reality has been in play for quite a while, and whether the numbers are close or far apart, 
the majority is the majority. Um, if you've got 82, you've, you've got the majority. And so, you know, uh, does it matter that it's a super minority? Uh, only at veto time, only a veto session, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's the reality. Uh, the rule of 82, that's all you need. And uh, so we, they've been in that position for a while. And I think that, you know, if you look at uh, Mayor Slay um, and, uh, and, Sly and James. certainly Mayor Sly James, and, and to some degree the county executives uh, have done fairly well um, getting things done that they needed to get done in Jefferson City. But certainly, has that made it harder? I'm sure it has. Absolutely it has. Now, you, you oh, go continue. Yeah, Joe. now, after this, I mean, uh, you are an official in the state AFL-CIO. Yes. Um, do you plan to seek another elective office? Are you looking at anything I've, in the short or long term? Yes, I, I, I filed my, changed my campaign committee to run for the Missouri Senate for Senatorial District, which would be Senator Joe Kevney's seat. Uh, he will be termed out in 2018, and I hopefully plan to run then. Yeah, he has applied for several judgeships, so it's not out of the question that he may leave early. And you also happen to be running for committeeman. You are the committeeman now. I am the committeeman now. And, and you would have... Wonderful post that... Uh, you would have votes exciting. on if, and, uh, if he vacates which, that. That's right. which ward? The 11th ward. Okay. He's, he's Tom Villa's neighbor, by the way. Right, and if you could do anything to keep him, to get him to keep the noise down uh. on my baby, <laughs> something, that'd be uh, I'm, I'm sure that his uh, a raucous sense of humor is waking everybody right. up. Uh, I mean, you, you follow city politics pretty closely. Um, you know, the mayor is leaving. There's probably going to be a wide open race to replace him. Um, you probably have lived in the south side for pretty much all your life. All my life. How do you see that playing out? Like right now, I think that it's assumed that Greg Daly is going to run and he's going to have a lot of money. He probably has made a lot of friends all over the city, but we also have someone like Tashara Jones who's thinking sure. of running, Lida Cruson. The, and now they're floating the name of Jason Hall, who I know and, is an economic development guy with the RCC. And uh, Vince Shamel's name was brought up yesterday. I mean, he's pulling almost a Charlie Wheeler there in the sense <laughs> that Charlie Wheeler was mayor and he became state right. senator. I'm not disparaging now, Vince, Vince Shamel. quite as old as Charlie Wheeler. I, <laughs> I, I want to make that clear. That was not meant to be disparaging. It would be disparaging if I was talking about today's Charlie Wheeler. I was talking about the Charlie Wheeler that won a state senate seat in 2002. But but what do you? how do you think this is going to play out? I'm I, really curious. I, as you said, it's it's wide open right now. I mean, I certainly, if, if from the outside looking in, you would assume that, uh, that the person in the best position, obviously, is uh, Collector of Revenue, Greg Daly. You know, he's a class act. Um, everybody likes him. It's hard to find a bad thing to say, anybody to find a bad thing to say about Greg. Um, but certainly you've got the president of Board of Aldermen that would, should or is interested in running, obviously, uh, Treasurer Jones. Um, How active will Labor get in that? Mayoral race. You know, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. That that would be something that would happen with the St. Louis Labor Council. Um, it, certainly, um, you know, certainly it it's an important office for us. Um, but uh, you know, you've got a lot of friends running in that, and I think that's going to make it hard to to pick winners and losers. And um, you know, sometimes it's a difficult choice. And it's, uh, depending on who runs, this race may be almost impossible to handicap. So, for example, yes, I would agree that Gregory FX Daly, if he is the only Southside candidate, is going to have a pretty big advantage going in. But if Sam Dotson, for example, gets in, who happens to live in the 16th Ward, right. and he's the current, and yeah, current police, police chief, chief, whether or not he's a good candidate or would win, 
I mean, that's going to affect Daly's candidacy sure. for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. And just as, you know, Tashara Jones had a state house district that went north-south. She had a little bit of the south side and the north side, and she's run citywide before. I could see her playing pretty much everywhere. But, you know, if Lida Krusen won, ran or Lewis Reed ran, that would kind of eat into the central corridor. Like, just talking about this and and calculating in my head makes this race almost impossible to handicap right joe you've been around this a long time would you agree yeah i think so i think though i think even though greg daly is not a household name i think he has he has made a lot of connections a lot of democratic connections and in a mayoral race especially these days where it depends a lot on connections just to get because most of this is fought out in the democratic primary so turnout may or may not be decent right and so um, it's, it's going to be interesting because uh, the, all, the, all the players that Jason mentioned, I think, all of them might have a shot depending on who turns out. We've seen that in other races, uh, citywide races the last few years, that who turns out, sometimes sure. people get shocked. And, and I think it's worth noting, you know, a, a, maybe a key component to this is, is who the mayor uh, ends up anointing, as it were. You know, he's sitting on a pretty sizable war chest, and, and the mayor's done a fantastic job, um, whether real or imagined, in, uh, in being able to shut off uh, some of the funds to some of the other op opposing candidates in the past. And will that happen in this race? We'll have to see. What do you well, think? Were you surprised uh, yeah, with the say. mayor? Because, I mean, in fact, we had had him on our show just a couple of weeks before, and he had said he definitely was running for a fifth term, and then he changed his mind. Sure. Were you surprised that he changed his mind? I was. In fact, you know, I was down there for the NGA announcement, and there was, you know, obviously no talk of it. And so I was, I was as shocked as everyone else. Yeah. I, I usually shy away from conspiracy theories, but I'm going to just throw one out there just for fun. Obviously, the mayor has been a big supporter of Hillary Clinton, and um, I think that maybe he did the calculation in his head that if Hillary Clinton wins, he might get an appointment to something, and it would be kind of irresponsible for him to run for re-election and then take an appointment without the race going forward. Do you think that's a possibility? Let, let's just say that <laughs> if that were a possibility, I would say that it was that couldn't be a more responsible thing to do as a mayor of a major metropolitan city. Because, you know, the election is in um, March. Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton, if she wins, and Trump doesn't win, would be you know sworn in in January, but would be piecing together her administration. And I'm not I'm not saying Mayor Slay is going to be like Secretary of State or whatever, but he could potentially become a judge. He could get a a deputy position somewhere. He could become ambassador to uh, Lebanon or something like that. And I just it just seems to me like if he was running for re-election and was kind of blocking out the sun for everybody, and then was like, oh. Two months before the election, I'm not running anymore. It would be kind of an irresponsible thing for him sure. to do. I, I mean, if, if, you know, I know the mayor has a lot of detractors, uh, but he's been the mayor for a long time. And I don't think anybody can say that he has never had the, al hasn't always had the best interests of the city at heart. It may not have always been what people wanted, uh, but he has always tried to put St. Louis on, on solid ground. And I think he's done a wonderful job. Well, I'm, after making that conspiracy theory, I'm looking forward to a, a very nice phone call from either the mayor or Richard Callow. <laughs> but continue, Joe. Okay, well, <laughs> don't hold your breath. Okay, so, uh, but back to you. As you're looking at this and you're thinking about running for the Senate, which means you aren't totally sick of what's going on in the state capitol, is there anything that you learned from your years in the House that you hope either has prompted you to decide to run again for the other chamber or just something that, you, that you've taken away from this? You know, I, 
I enjoy being here. I think, you know, I listened to the, your last podcast with my, my next door neighbor. Um, he said, this is, you know, it's a great place to work. And it, and it really is. And you can, you can be impactful. And I, th I think, you know, in the, in the era of term limits, I think it's worth saying that, uh, you know, you get better at moving pieces of legislation around the longer you're here. And I, I, I think I've gotten to a point where I have really good relationships on both sides of the aisle. Uh, you know, I'm able to pass bills um, as the, the Democratic leader in the super minority. You know, I've just, I've made, uh, I've made those connections, and uh, I, I think I would do a good job in the Missouri Senate. Any thoughts about term limits? No, I think the voters have spoken. Do, you know, I think that uh, would it be, would it be um, uh, better to do something like uh, uh, a total of 16 years in one chamber or the other? Uh, maybe, or perhaps, you know, 12 years in the Senate and 12 years in the House, and you could make a, make a career out of it. Um, but the fact is, is that once you get legislators that have been here eight years, they get, they just finally start to be really good at the process, and then it's time for them to leave, and then you've got the lobbyists that kind of fill the void in the meantime. And, I mean, that is absolutely a problem. Should it be changed? I think the voters have spoken, and I think that's, I think, you know, that's the era that we are now, and I, I don't see a change in any time. My only other question, uh, one thing that you will miss about being in the Missouri House and one thing you will not miss about being in the Missouri House. I will miss my staff the most. They have been fantastic. Um, I have the, you could ask uh, the, the Republican side of the aisle, I have some of the best staff in the Capitol. They are fantastic. Um, I will miss some of the, or I won't miss some of the, uh, the petty bickering uh, that occurs uh, behind the scenes that no one ever gets to see uh, for uh, an office that's not quite as big as someone else's office or, you know, someone said something about me in the hallway. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, childish slights that, that go on, and uh, I'll be happy to not be the, uh, the minority leader after that. <laughs> well, somebody else will be minority leader in 2017. We'll have to have them on the show uh, many, many times. But thank you very much. Thank I think this is the much. first time I've actually done a show with, with you in person because the first time I was not here because I was on paternity leave. Yep. The second time it was by phone. So oh, it's that's right. So this isn't your third time. Yes. Okay. Well, we've done one in studio. We've done one yes. in, studio, in studio, but you sure. know what happens when you hit the fourth time? <laughs> you have to resign in disgrace. <laughs> and well, then this is the last one we're doing. <laughs> un, un, until if you win the Senate seat. And it, anyways, uh, thank you, as always, uh, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. How do we follow you on Twitter? Uh, at Jacob Hummel. All right. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long.